0: A popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionising the sales performance industry. This survey utilises competing questions and the users' perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant, or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong, and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360 degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues, as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task, but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. Well, um, um, hi, Cathy, and uh, just a massive welcome to the Sales Transformation Podcast. So thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Phil, for inviting me. It's great to have a conversation again.
0: It is. It is a take two, isn't it? So, <laughs> it is
1: So a take two. Sorry
0: uh but i i think a lot has happened since take 1 so i think i'm uh, really looking forward to sort of reconnecting with you again um uh, for this podcast um i think it would be great for our listeners before we get sort of stuck into some of the subject matter that we'll talk about a bit later on with uh, knowing a little bit more about who who cathy is because i think you've had quite an interesting kind of journey going from university into sales so Would you mind just sharing a little bit of your background with us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I started out as a psychology grad. uh, So my intention was to be a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, actually. Um, And having studied at uni for three years uh, at Birmingham Uni, at the end of those three years, I decided rather than do another three years, which is what clinical psychology would have been, uh, I would apply for... Uh, a number of jobs, because I wanted to go out there and earn some money and go out into the big wide world. So um, I applied for multiple different roles, and actually I went into IBM into their graduate program. Uh, so I sort of uh, accidentally fell into technology, which was a, a great accident, because here I am, 27 years later of a, a career in technology. And it's been one of the biggest enablers for change. And actually very closely connected, I think, to um, how we behave, how we think and the outcomes that we drive. So, um, yeah, I, I can I can share a little bit about my uh, my career, probably through numbers is the simplest way of doing it. Phil, uh, depends yeah. how much you want to know?
0: <laughs> well, no, I think it would be interesting because I think you joined, you know, you joined IBM. On, on the grad scheme, and I think they did have a fabulous graduate scheme at the time. They they possibly still do, but uh, um, but you then moved away from IBM, and I know you've had different roles in your career before your your current position now. So yes, it would be great to know a little bit more about the journey that you've been on. Yeah, so let me
1: tell the journey through numbers. So twenty seven. Uh, For those listening closely, I already mentioned that, so 27 years of a career. Um, And that career has gone across technology, but from big corporates, starting out in IBM, uh, all the way through to very small startups, um, always in software, um, and then now being uh, with SAP for 14 years, so came into SAP through the Business Objects acquisition. Um, And then the next number is 16. So, 16 is for the 16 different roles that I've had across that 27-year career so far. Um, As I mentioned, started out in sales, went through what was a fantastic program sales school, IBM sales school, and stayed with IBM for the first five years, and then moved out into a number of smaller, sort of mid-sized companies uh, still in sales. So, moved into more the alliances, systems integrator, you know channel distribution business um, beyond the UK. So started in the UK but then moved into sort of quickly Northern European and EMEA roles. Um, and then, as I mentioned, came into SAP through business objects. And since being an SAP for the past fourteen years, i've I've shifted my career from what was very much focused for the first half of my career on sales um whether that's industry sales or solution sales um and then moved into uh chief operating officer role in the uk and also done that role in japan also done that role globally in innovation services um and i've i guess i've always been working my way across the customer life cycle from from sales and then into services and then actually um before my current role i moved into what was really a customer success customer engagement and experience role Um, so yeah looking across the whole customer life cycle and working uh very fortunate to to travel and work in, in many places over the world um big part of the career in uk and europe um then spent time in japan as chief operating officer for three years, uh, a good time in Asia, um, now back in Asia, so I'm, I'm speaking to you from Singapore, I uh, didn't mention that at the beginning, um, and global roles, so um, so lots of different experiences, so sixteen different roles across the career so far, uh, and then the final number that I like to call out is 50,000, and I don't know if you've heard of the ten thousand hour rule. So the ten thousand hours to be an expert uh, in any given subject. Um, I'm an avid reader, so for those of you that like reading, I fully recommend a book called "Bounce" by Matthew Syed, uh, which talks about that rule. That's particularly in connection to a lot of the, uh, the sporting uh, performers. But fifty thousand, given my 27 years of a career, 16 different roles, and that 10,000 hour rule. I like to call myself an expert generalist, which fits very well to what I do now.
0: Okay. So, okay, that's great. And thanks. Thanks very much for the book uh, recommendation. Yes, I used to follow Matthew when he was uh, a great table tennis player. And uh, it's very interesting to see yeah. how he's developed his career into journalism and podcasts and all sorts of things now an author yeah very uh, yeah great great uh, great person actually very talented um i mean it's just been the most extraordinary journey that you've had in sales um, and I, I i i need to ask you about japan because you know being um you know a female working in japan at senior management um one always talks about some of the cultural challenges of working in different cultures but you know quite often people refer to Japan as being very different Um, how did you find that?
1: So it's interesting that the the first opportunity to go to Japan I remember my my boss at the time um, I I was driving back into the office in the UK it was the days of the commute and, uh, and I think i would had a long day in the office. And on the way, Mac, I got this call from my boss, who was um, in the U.S. at the time, because I was doing a global role, saying uh just, just had a conversation with some of the executive team in the Japan market unit. Uh, the business is uh, struggling at the moment. It's quite a few challenges. Um, and they really would like somebody to go out there for Maybe a month, maybe six weeks um, to sit with the COO to help the sales uh, leaders put some sort of sales excellence and discipline back in um, from, a, from an operational perspective. And uh, I remember my first response was I can't speak Japanese, I don't like sushi, and I've never even thought of going to Japan. So why would I want to do that? And then um, and then it was very much, well, it will only be for six weeks, and then and then that's how and I basically said, you know what? I'm gonna go. What's what's the worst thing that can happen? Let's let's just go. And it, again, you know, it was it was probably the best thing that I ever did because when I actually went out for six weeks, ended up staying for six months. Um and then went back as COO. And so I went first of all in as global process exec for deal execution when we were building the franchise, uh, which is a, an operational framework to mm. drive scale uh, in sales and operations. And And going into Japan, I mean, actually a lot of the universal truths about building connection and leadership absolutely apply. It's you do what you say you're gonna do, be consistent, build trust, And the work ethic and the quality outcomes for Japan, having a framework where everyone then knew this is my role, this is how we drive the process, this is the cadence, this is the rhythm of the business, this is the expected outcome, this is what good looks like and best practice and world class. Actually, it was something that over time, worked really really well with the whole kaizen continuous improvement in japan so uh, actually japan ended up becoming the number one market unit for global franchise around deal execution Um, and over time that uh, that returned the business back to growth um, and it continues to be one of our biggest market units globally so it was a it was a fantastic learning experience yeah yeah
0: yeah it's uh it's amazing yes not not just to have the variety of roles but also you know working with different cultures and perhaps we can come back to this point a bit later on in in, in the interview um but perhaps we could focus on your current role and um one of uh the questions I was going to ask you to explain to the listeners is 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 about you know, what exactly is the role of COO? Though I, I suspect that you, your role has slightly changed since then, but um, I think you're very much involved in operations, if I'm not mistaken. From, from, uh, uh, could you just explain what your current role is and what, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the, the role of the Chief Operating Officer in SAP is, um, it, it always goes back to what I said at the beginning, an expert generalist. So it's a very diverse role and it's responsible for all of the all of the supporting functions to run the business. So um, enable our sales organization, support our sales organization and our customers through pre-sales, through industry, through value advisory. Um, It actually also encompasses our partners and our partner ecosystem as well, um, as well as business operations and enablement. So it's a very diverse role, primarily focused on you know, building the operating model to operate today, but also and more so uh, as, as we'll have the conversation really making sure uh, that we're anticipating and preparing for multiple different futures. So it's about performing today but also transforming and, and you know protecting and building the, the organization for future readiness. Mm.
0: Because I, I think the the other context is sort of to take into account over the, um, twenty seven, if I remember the right number, That's uh, right, yeah, yeah to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the twenty seven years is called the business context, the market context in which we're now having to operate in is has changed, you know, beyond anything Change. we might have predicted. Yeah just yeah. massive, massive change. So, and I know this is the subject which is really close to your heart. You know, how do you, you know, how, how, how do you create the kind of organisational infrastructure that allows an organisation, you know, to, uh, to adapt to change, to kind of move with where um, uh, the future is? Um, and I think that it, it might be interesting Um, you know within the context of your current role at SAP to maybe briefly go into the context of the business environment which you're seeing now that SAP and uh, you know and its customers and and so on are having to operate in how how do you see the market right now?
1: Yeah yeah I mean again the, the pace of change just in technology, being back 27 years, but the pace of change in the last, you know, just two years alone, I mean, it's been yeah. hugely disruptive. We've all experienced it from, you know, over-optimization of supply chain, supply chain resilience, all of those challenges that have imp- impacted us all personally. Um, and I think this, this notion of the past, you know, previously we looked at the past and what worked well and then repeated that and built on that. And I think now we can all you know, confidently say the past is just no longer a good guide to the future. Um, and, and this change from you know, how people work in the future, how organizations do business in the future, and how businesses operate in the future. You know, we're seeing sort of three areas of, of change. And maybe for a while people thought, you know, we would we would go back after the pandemic to normal. Or even there was this new normal. Um, I think we're all firmly now embracing a new different, and, and we need to get comfortable with that and be, you know, be prepared to do things differently and work in a different way. Um, and and we're seeing that when we're talking to many of many of our customers and our partners as well. And obviously, you know, from an SAP perspective, you know, we're transforming our business to as a service um, from a legacy on-premise model. Um, it, and a business that is driving outcomes for, for our customers so uh so yeah huge amount of disruption and that continual need to how do you how do you continue to thrive not just today but thrive in the future and that future readiness piece
0: i believe you've been involved in a project that that sort of brings together is it three was it three dimensions that you mentioned um yes, uh, yes. Could could you just briefly explain that because i think i think that's 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 interesting as well so yeah
1: yeah so when um when we at inside sap and also speaking to our customers have been talking about areas to anticipate change and the three building blocks that keep coming up is around the future of work the future of business and the future of operations and the future of work, you know, how will people work in the future? You know, anywhere, anywhere, and with any yeah, It's flexible, you know, and what's the purpose of the office? How do we engage in meaningful work? So there's a, a, a big shift, you know, towards that um, flexibility and purposeful uh, work. And then, um, I mean, at SAP, we have a big program that we call our Pledge to Flex program, which addresses a lot of that and gives that um, decision making you and the control to the employee to decide how they want to work. Um, the second area of change is very much about, you know, we've touched on it around resilience and sustainability, but ha- how do how do organizations do business in the future? And what we're seeing now is this shift uh, away from a primary focused on cost efficiency and effectiveness only. I mean of course cost management, cost control is important, but is it the primary role of an organization going forward? And, and we're seeing this shift for many businesses to, to build in resilience, to be more sustainable, a sustainable business, um, and that experience piece. and um, And that's shifting in terms of that future of business. And then the third building block is the future of operations and how do we operate really more intelligently by infusing that intelligent tech as the enabler to to free up that you know that, that human skills time for the more repetitive mundane, but also to build in technology that learns, you know, machine learning AI to actually then evolve those business processes. So, um, so yeah, those three building blocks of change are people, business, and operations, and and that's absolutely resonating in many of the conversations that that we're having.
0: And I think this is perhaps, I I don't know whether it was that, that led to this sort of a redefinition of what is the role of a COO? um, Because I think that you began to introduce the term, and I'm not sure if it was you or your colleagues, about Chief Anticipation Officer. Um, Yeah. And I think this whole area of predictability and um, anticipation is very interesting in the, in the context of a world that you've described earlier on, which is changing so quickly. And how can you anticipate when you don't quite know what's coming around the next corner? So could you um, could you perhaps explain that this sort of journey and, and, and perhaps this, you know, why it made you start to question a redefinition of what is the role that you have?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the O in COO is very strong, operating today and running the business. But back to that, how do we make sure we also have a business in the future? And a lot of that is about how to drive that change and transformation and even disruption to be able to be continually competitive and thrive in the future. So across each of those areas, people, business and operations, we we also started to look at, well, what are we, where are we spending our time? Where do we have our skills? Where are we investing? And looking at this, what we call our run, transform, disrupt lens for each of those three areas. Um, And actually, if you want to build for future readiness, what we found is that you really need to start from the disrupt angle to have many, many different ideas and disruptive thinking. And then experiment and learn so that some of those then start to be more transformational and you can drive transformation at scale. And ultimately, if you do that over a period of time and you get a positive outcome, then that goes into the run mode of the business and is part of the DNA. So, so what we're actually seeing is even though the, you know, the, the three areas have change with people, business and operations, and then this lens of run, transform, disrupt. Uh, we're, we're seeing the need to then have this sort of system that we're creating, so it's disrupt, transform, run across those areas, and we're continually learning within that system. And and that's this we're now evolving this thinking into more of a systems-based approach because that that's how we can make sense of complexity and look at the whole and the relationships rather than individual parts. And how those things connect um, are meaning that we can continually evolve and anticipate for the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, so yes, we've been learning a lot over the past well, 12 months now. And we've done um, a yeah, pilot inside SAP in one of our market units. And and as I said, been talking to a number of external parties as well. So I do believe this systems-based approach will be the way to have that continual learning as we continually anticipate different
0: futures and I think that you've you've also and I, I think uh, congratulations on the HBR article you know it's you know you're clearly taking this out in the in this thinking a little bit out in the form of market research and you know sounding out um, sort of experts on the topic from different disciplines and so on um, and Um, I think it it would be really interesting to explain a little bit the purpose of the HBR kind of initiative that took place and also um, some of the key findings that you got from the research. So, um, uh, So perhaps you could cover those two. (laughs) <laughs> to begin with, I've got yeah, some
1: questions. Yeah, absolutely. No, we, were, well, we we talked about this Phil, as well. I think we she we were did. looking at, you know, maybe doing a research paper together for the Sales Transformation Journal, and um, and it came about. We 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 were doing some work with Harvard Business Review um, Analytics Services, and I, I did a, a roundtable on actually supply chain and resilience earlier this year and um, shared the the concept of the chief anticipation officer and the 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 system of change that we were looking at and they were really really interested in it and and we 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 spoke about doing a piece of research to go and um, really survey and globally actually um not just uh, sap customers but a, a broader spectrum so actually going out to hbr's um community and, and over the past few months, what um, what we've done is gone out to over four hundred and forty organisations uh, globally, um, across Asia Pacific, North America, and Europe, and and asked about future readiness. And and the research that we're just about to publish the paper, um, it says that you know nine out of ten businesses are. Are absolutely thinking about future readiness and this adaptive culture and a continuous need to you know upskill and make sure that we have got the right skills that's sort of that very much people-focused element is critically important to future readiness on the flip side it also says one in three organizations so only when actually less than 30 percent were very prepared or you know, knowing how to come about that change so there's no there's no one way to actually anticipate and there's no right way and actually the vast majority whilst they're saying it's important to, but to build an adaptive culture they don't really know how to go about driving that change and so i think it's evident and that it's top of mind so this system that we're starting to see it's resonating and that the feedback loop into this mm. systems based approach i think could be a very interesting way of building that and evolving that over time
0: yeah no it's it's really interesting and i i think that also i think some of the uh, cultural differences to readiness is also interesting in terms of um you know how different cultures approach the longer term versus the shorter term and Uh, you've got all of these sort of pressures on the short term for many organizations to sort of hit numbers and perhaps it restricts their ability to truly innovate and think about transformation and what's going to be required you know to survive for the future but we we, i think we know how dangerous that is but it's it's really difficult to get out of that sort of cycle of you know sort of panicking about short-term numbers and then but but being confident that you actually steering the organisation to a sustainable future.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because one of the other um, findings from the survey was a focus on strategic planning, focus on short-term horizons. So, again, you're saying that the large percentage, you know, 73% of organisations plan between one and five years into the future, but only one in five organisations say their planning horizon is more than five years out so uh, ag- again, the, there is a you know where should strategic planning focus?" and then actually looking at the collaborative approach for planning. So mm-hmm. you know, planning in many organizations tends to be a small number of people in one part of the organization, perhaps in a um, more of a hierarchical position of the organization. And this need to have the connection across the organization. And the collaboration across the different parts, the different business areas to make sure that I really do believe it's back to the systems approach to make sure you've got a whole view and one that's interconnected. And that's really important in planning. So this CAO concept, while it started very much as a next generation COO, given my role, I do believe now it's becoming more of a mindset for all C-level executives to Want to better anticipate and prepare for the future, regardless of which part of your business you're running.
0: No, I, I 100% uh, agree and and perhaps have sort of come to similar thinking, but in a slightly different way, you know, through some of the work and research that we've done. And they're, they're, they're two um, interesting. You mentioned Matthew um, side uh, earlier on, but there are two other authors that I think that have done some interesting work. One is David Wilkinson, um, he was looking at leadership traits, and he talks in his book about the ambiguity advantage. And he's starting, he, he's defined different modes of leadership um, from sort of hierarchical through to generative, as he calls it. Um, but under generative, it's this ability to deal with ambiguity as one of the traits that he felt when he wrote his book. One of the key traits for senior leaders, and felt very few were able to deal with ambiguity, uh, which is a kind of mindset issue, um, perhaps. And the other influencer is uh, Dr. Julian Birkinshaw at London Business School, who talks about different eras. And um, in the post knowledge era, which is the era he suggests we're in now, yeah, the two dominant characteristics of the successful organisation are the Agile um, type of organization, which is much more collaborative, like you are saying, less hierarchical in nature. But also um, he felt democracy. um, He talks about adhocracy and democracy as the two key traits. This is the sort of emotional attachment that you have between employee and company, as well as company and customer. But uh, so I think you're spot on, I, I think, with this chief anticipation officer concept. And I think what's lovely about the word is is that it shifts the focus, isn't it? I mean, there's a huge shift from, like you say, the operations and the today into the future. And I guess it's all got to come together somehow uh, around the sort of systems thinking that you talk about. Yeah. So I, I yeah. think it's... It's really it's really interesting,
1: but I think it's funny. It's just sparked it just sparked a thought. Actually, we um, so we we've been doing uh, a what we call a future ready leaders program. So we 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 built at the beginning of this year because people talk about the need to perform and transform, and. But no one says, well, how? How do we do this? And how, how are we going to have the skills to do that? Um, often, you're in very different roles when you do that, and you're asking me to do it at the same time. And we, we had a great, uh, we've had various modules. We actually started off with the core very enterprise leaders, which has the, the whole premise of perform, transform. We then um, looked at storytelling, startup mindset, cultural intelligence, which you were just talking about, cultural differences, Uh, And then the most recent one we have was Resilience and Awareness. And we had the fantastic guy from the Special Forces uh, do this this training with us last week. And he was talking a lot about the the forces and the military. And it just sparked a thought then when you were talking about, you know, there's always that differentiation between leadership and management. Uh, uh, Managers manage things, leaders lead people. Um, And then back to just really driving and building that resilience and that culture of your collaboration and purpose. Um, it, I think all of these things to start to connect, that it's really important that that people element of leadership. So incumbent on all leaders now, how, how do you build an adaptive culture? How do you create change? How do you have that forward, future-looking um, you know, not just process, but mindset, and and build for that within an organization, mm. and uh, and and again, that that was one of the key findings mm. from from the research was was how how do that that's the biggest piece people are, are, are grappling with is really how do I do that, um, and I, I think the only way of solving for this is to is to continually solve for it together within this system.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's a great, it's a great framework that you've described. Um, you know, it's one thing to talk about the need for something, and, and and a lot of people, I doubt very very many people would disagree. You know, with your point of view, I think we all know the world is changing and changing so quickly. Um, but what about the execution of change? You know, and I was really interested in some comments you you made to me on a earlier occasion, which is about the maturity of an organisation to affect change, um, yeah. and. Is there any chance? And you—you you may have you developed a sort of maturity model. I think it was in your mind. Which, yeah,
1: which, we have started to build it out. Yes, yes. Yeah.
0: So I'd, I'm really interested to know a bit more about how that has influenced the the way in which you can prepare an organisation to be ready. You know, uh, you know, and, and and what sort of input went into defining what was in the maturity model that you've created. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, absolutely. Um, so it, when, we, when we looked at the system in terms of those three areas and the really the run, transform, disrupt, which is about preparing for future readiness, we, we went one level down and, and for each of the three dimensions around people, business, and operations, we, um, we looked at sub-dimensions to really focus in on some of those things that we've been talking about. So for the, for the people dimensions, uh, we looked at, um, flexibility, inclusivity, and purpose. Um, for operations, we focus more on intelligence uh, and agility and collaboration. And then for the, the way of doing business, um, much more around the experience and, and the, the market offerings. So we've created those those three change areas with three sub-dimensions. So we have a – it's still you know quite a, a simplistic uh, benchmarking assessment yeah. – that we we actually uh, tried out with one of our markets, Australia or New Zealand, where we work with the COO and asked them to do their own self assessment across those nine dimensions to say, on a scale of one to ten, uh, sorry, one to five, um, are you really focused primarily on you know, performing and running your business today? Or are you moving towards a five where you're not just performing, but you're transforming your business for tomorrow? So, yeah, a very simple future readiness scale. Um, And we asked the COO to do a self-assessment. We then worked with three people in the business, um, the head of HR and and the people agenda. So focused on the, the future of work. Um, The head of operations, the future operations, and then customer engagement um, and sales leadership for the, the future of business and got each of them to also do an assessment of the business. And then we took all of those assessments and created a... Um, really a a baseline of uh, a simple spider web diagram that shows against those nine dimensions, well, where have we got gaps? Where are we doing? You know, where are we already preparing to be future ready? Or where have we got significant gaps? And we actually started to use that as a bit of a diagnostic um, to then look at, okay, well, if we need to focus, you know, from... A, an operational standpoint, how do we, as an example, start to bring in more intelligent technology into the reporting process, into the forecasting mm-hmm. process to better predict um and free up that human thinking time so so yeah that's what we've just started and we're just in the process of currently also doing it at a regional level as well so i've uh, i've just completed my self-assessment and i'll be getting three of our leaders in the business to also look at the regional apj business
0: god uh, it's, it's a fascinating model I, i'll never forget a quote that i heard from forrester which talked about you know the um, time it takes to go from strategy to execution in the field, and and he was mainly relating to sales when he he said um, that on average, it, it you know the time it takes to go from the board being very clear about what strategy they they want to p- pursue to sort of execution of that in the field is about eighteen months, and um and that kind of frustrated you know the the board. Um, it it clearly frustrated the CEOs rather about, about how long it takes sometimes to get things done. And if you link that with this imperative to be agile, to be adaptive and to work, um, in a market, which is very ambiguous, suggests that this, 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 um, how do you move people? How do you, how do you get people to change mindsets? How do you, how do you get quicker? in being able to execute change is, I, th- I think, probably a big challenge that most big org- organizations face. and I'm sure yeah. SAP feel a little bit like that, but it, it sounds to me like you're sort of um, codifying, you know, what are the different levers that you can adjust and pull with, with a view to getting this agile organization that, you know, that you say is fit for the future.
1: Yeah. yeah well I mean how many people does it take what percentage of people does it take to draw transformation what's the tipping
0: point well I think McKinsey was saying something like seven percent isn't it you yes. don't need yes. yeah you don't you don't need that you know that many people you know to get change so, so yeah. maybe that's it maybe it's finding the seven percent and uh and I'm working but seven
1: percent. Yeah, but seven percent in a big organization yeah. is still several
0: hundred. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's still a lot of people, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but but it, I think
1: that's why it's super important. It's like it's like I mean, the leadership from everywhere. I mean, the yeah. I mean, I know we're, we're both, you know, very big fans of Cotter, But the latest change book. I mean, needing leadership from everywhere, and and yeah. it goes back to the whole select few, diverse many you know, principle. And one of the one of the things we have been doing actually just over the, the last uh, few weeks is doing some roundtable sessions on you know the the vision of chief anticipation officer, the execution framework, the system that we're creating, and feedback loops. And we've done that with a number of our emerging talent uh, teams. So we actually had a roundtable last week. Again, very diverse set of people across the Asia region, so different cultures, um, you know, younger generation, uh, but different parts of the business as well. And and getting some very positive feedback that this is absolutely the right topic to be talking about, and, and a very much a passion and an energy to wanting to be involved, and lots of new ideas about how can we continue to challenge status quo? How do we how do we create this transformational movement? Um, either the adaptive culture and wanting to be you know, the ambassadors and the catalysts for change. So um, we, we've actually got you know, some playback sessions in, in the next couple of weeks, which I'm really looking forward to. In, in, in you're getting that idea and feedback from you know, that the teams that are much closer to. The customer to the field, you know, working on the ground, and make sure that we have got this leadership from everywhere principle. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I think I think it absolutely involves you know, many many people in the organization, and especially those new
0: ideas coming in. You've talked about starting a movement, and I think it, it's a, such an interesting. You know, what does it take to start a movement? And maybe it is you know those seven percent or those individuals but um yeah from from my experience it it's quite hard to start a movement you know getting that critical mass and at what point do you know that the movement is a movement and not just a desire um yes so i'm but, but but i have a sense you know with the various um conversations we've had over the past you know the hbr article and the kind of initiatives that you're taking place. That definitely, it seems that something is happening. Um, can I just ask? Uh, I know we're running out of time here, Cathy, But this this title of Chief Anticipation Officer is it going to become? Is it going to become an official title now? As a, you know, is it is it going to be like a board? You know, a board role now as Chief Anticipation Officer. Or do you think people are slightly worried if they do have this role, if they get it wrong? <laughs> you, know <what> I mean. <laughs> you know, well, you anticipated incorrectly, but I mean, can you see this emerging as a as the new science of the COO role and and it to be officially kind of recognised? You know, as a.
1: I think if you'd asked me that question six months ago, my. My hope would be that actually, yes, you would have a role or a function that would be the, the, the anticipatory function of the chief anticipation officer. What we've learned and the conversations that we've had now across so many different you know, parts of the business with different customers, uh, with different you know, diverse groups is that it isn't a role, it's actually a mindset. And if we choose to call that a a Chief Anticipation Officer and we all put our CAO hat on, regardless of the role, it then starts to evolve into this future readiness, you know, broader concept. Um, So it's interesting. I I, I think it's now a a framework for change and a system, a systems-based approach to change with those three lenses across the RCD but with a CAO mindset um, to be able to then put it into execution. Uh, And actually, my hope now for the next 612 months is that we get everybody, you know, spending some part of their day putting that CAO hat on and, and thinking about future readiness.
0: Well, that's brilliant. Well, Cathy, I think we got to the end of our time. And I think that we've probably ended on a really good note. I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to share at all with the listeners on this topic, but we will be directing them to the hbr article did you say it's been published or about to be published
1: it's about to be published um literally uh next week is next the official week. publishing date so uh <laughs> yes watch this face but we will absolutely provide a link to that
0: a link to that and i look
1: forward to continuing the conversation yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. Well,
1: thank you, Phil.
0: okay so kathy thank you very much